From regular expenses to occasional splurges, there's a lot to buy. Why not get cash back every time you spend? With the PenFed Power Cash Rewards Card, you get cash back on every purchase. That's everywhere, every time you use it. You can even earn a $100 statement credit when you spend $1,500 in the first 90 days. Visit PenFed.org slash PowerCash to apply. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. You've counted down the seconds. Now make every second count for you. University of Maryland Global Campus will help you wave goodbye to 2020 and say hello to a new year where you take the next step in your education. Whether you want to study business, cybersecurity, healthcare, or IT, University of Maryland Global Campus can help. Apply by January 31st and we'll waive your application fee. Learn online. Visit umgc.edu. That's umgc.edu. Certified to operate in Virginia by Chev. Welcome along, it's El Tell and John's La Liga weekly podcast. Not exactly weekly and not exactly La Liga at the moment, but we're going to go back in time. We hope you're all fit and well. Uh, we are both at our respective homes. Terry is in the garden. Terry, how's, how's the new hobby coming along? The new hobby, as in uh, not drinking every afternoon, sitting in the sun, pretending <laughs> that I'm on holiday, um, is coming along really well. Um, doing me exercise on a daily basis. And then from about one o'clock onwards, when this, the weather has uh, fortunately been as good as it is, just sitting in the garden, getting the ump and uh, <laughs> drinking, f- I, would, I would say, when I say far more than I ever have, um, I don't think I would ever class myself as a big drinker and a hellraiser, but what else is there to do? I've even resorted to trying drinks that I've never had before, that uh, just for the taste, <laughs> and I always thought it would be cool to like... Whiskey or bourbon. It just sounds cool, doesn't it? It's a nightcap or something. Or it's you know, someone asks for a drink and it's a bourbon. You think, oh, he's a pretty cool dude. How does anyone like that taste? <laughs> it's, there's, there's two ways of drinking it. Filling it with something else, it, Coke, so you can't taste it as, or as much. Mm. Or drinking it neat. There's nothing cool about walking to a bar, drinking a, a neat scotch or bourbon, and then going... <coughs> I can't breathe. <laughs> so I'm abandoning that and I'm just probably just going to stick to beer, I'm afraid. <laughs> I, I uh, forgot, well, do you like scotch? Before I said, <laughs> abused everybody uh, I, that drinks scotch. Yeah, <laughs> I, I have very dusty bottles of scotch in the in the cupboard because I, I, I actually do like it. But oh. I just think the, the, the risk-reward uh, doesn't pay off because you, sort of, you sort of have two mouthfuls of whiskey, and that gives you a, a slightly sore head and a, and a dry mouth all night. So I don't know. We're people on people on TV and films are sort of knocking it back. No, no. You can't drink that I much know. whiskey. You'll be on the floor. <laughs> no, there we are. Oh, no. Football Hellraisers podcast, everybody. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Two men scared of drinking whiskey. <laughs> uh, I have drunk in a tuxedo, isn't it, and a bow tie? It's a thing. Yeah, thing, I think. Oh, yeah, with a certain, with a certain, with a certain amount of class that we don't have. Yeah, uh, I have exactly. Terry been watching, been watching a bit of old Sky Sports though, and I came uh, there. There you were, uh, the Premier League. Yeah, first Premier League years. Yeah. Uh, so ninety two, ninety three. So the first season of the Premier League, and um, I think it's a Spurs. I think you're playing against Spurs. 
and the ball breaks through, and you, it's a race between Ian Walker and John Fashionu <laughs> to get to the ball. Or well, it looks like it should be a race, but in reality, what Fashionu he just jumps on him, doesn't he? Just, no, do you remember it? Two foot challenge on the goalkeeper. It yeah. really would have been a red card now. And yeah, yeah. yeah the, the ball spins free, someone crosses it, and I get the tap in for my one and only Premier League goal. Hey. I, I wish it was more of a classic, but it, it's not. It's one where the goalkeeper gets crudely taken out by my yeah. strike partner, um, and I tap in the, the loose ball in my last season as a top flight player. Um, yeah. So because I, he could... it, was, it was a ridiculous goal. Fashion who could have got there because I was thinking when it broke and when because I couldn't remember it uh, and I was thinking oh I, I was sort of expect because you know it's a goal so you're thinking is he nicking it is he going to nip it round the keeper here and get caught but no 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 <laughs> two it on the keeper <laughs> and Walker had to go off didn't he I, I yeah. just looked it up he, yeah so yes <laughs> um, I tell you what who else was in that featured very heavily that is our old uh, Sky Sports uh, La Liga colleague uh, David they Phillips who had a he had a prodigious run at the start of that season. Again, I was just I just checked because he scored in like five games that Norwich won by a single goal. So, you know, the Cantona run in 96 where yeah. Manchester United won the league and they won a series of games 1-0 and Cantona scored in them all. Um, David Phillips had a run like that in, in for Norwich. And Norwich were top of the league, weren't they, for quite a long time in that uh, first Premier League season? They were. And it was... it was. Int- I always kept an eye on their results. I mean, David, David's... Finished from spectacular. Most of his goals were spec- spectacular strikes. He had a great strike on him. But that Norwich team was pretty much, I mean, three or four of my ex-young uh, youth teammates from, from Spurs. So oh, yeah. I like to be in Culverhouse, Mark Bowen, Ian Crook, um, who all left Spurs at some stage to, to go to Norwich. That so was a really good area for Norwich to... To pinch players once uh, Spurs had finished with them, or they weren't going to ever be first team regulars, and and they went on to have really good careers with that club, um, and all, all sort of finished up their careers as as well respected players for Norwich, who got into Europe as well. So, yep, no, it's uh, football has changed the course since then. You're not allowed two footed tackles on the goalkeeper, uh, and <laughs> Norwich thing. were in Europe, um, yeah. full of young reserve players from Tottenham Hotspur. So. Yeah, football has, has changed quite a bit. Uh, I, I, it was interesting. I know this is a La Liga podcast, but I was at, that was the first or second season of the Premier League, and I've often been asked the question. You know, most of my career was in the the first division, and when it changed to the Premier League for the cu- first couple of seasons, at least where I was in it, it never felt any different whatsoever. There was no, you know, the, there was a little bit of hype. There was going to be a few more, more games on television. Um, but that that was about it. We we didn't start the season off thinking, oh, we're in this new league and this, you know, everything's going to be wonderful. We're all going to start earning massive amounts of money. It that it didn't happen. So it is. I it, it annoys me actually when I, I, I that we've got in English football this history that's split into two sections now. So we have a yeah. Premier League top scorer and a, a you know Jimmy Greaves, for instance. Um, you know, it's everything's about. The history is about the Premier League of English football, and it isn't. I mean, the, the, it's ridiculous when you think that Liverpool have never won the Premier League. That's ridiculous in itself. But the fact that they were winning the league every year for about 20 years before mm. that seems to be separated into those two sections. And I, I, I think in, in Spain, 
you know, it might happen in the future, who knows? But in, in Spain, they haven't got that. It might be one day in the future that all Messi's goals are disqualified and someone new comes along in the new Super La Liga or something and, and the old records start again. So, as I say, when I was took part in the Premier League, when it first started, a few more games on television. The game you're talking about was a Sunday afternoon live game, Wimbledon against Spurs. Um, probably wouldn't have been on on a Sunday afternoon if it had been the Division 1 and, and Sky hadn't been paying the extra money for more games. Um, I'm pretty sure it wasn't Wimbledon that the reason that the game was on television. It was because of Spurs. So, But as I say, it's a, football has changed so much in that period of time. Uh, what did? Sorry, everyone who's come for the classic. We will, we will, we'll get there. Honestly, I promise you. But I've got another question. Because you played in that first season, um, was the back pass law? How big a change was that to you? Because that that was the the, the the change to the actual game, wasn't it? You know, the the arrangements. It's the same year that they rebranded the Champions League and that they started the Premier League. But like, like you say, you know, so so what? But that changed. The game, didn't it? The back pass law changed what happened on the pitch. It did. And now when you see older football and you see the goalkeeper picking the ball up, everyone must think who's under a certain age must think, what's he doing? He's picking the ball up, running around <laughs> the penalty area, bouncing it. Um, and yeah. it, it, For Wimbledon, it was hugely important because we used to pass back to our goalkeeper a lot. We used to pick the ball up and then our centre, our defence used to run up to the halfway line and then Dave Besant, for instance, would then wait till everyone was set up and then roll the ball out, dribble it 20 yards and smack it into the other penalty box. As crude as it sounds, that's exactly what we, we did that from kickoff. It was kickoff, it was back to the goalkeeper and then launch it into the penalty box. And, and also, we, we used to work hard on closing down opposing goalkeepers anyway, you know, because it was a, we would rather them kick the ball out for a corner or kick the ball out for a throw because we were great at corners. We had a long throw specialist in Vinnie Jones. The last thing we wanted was a, a defender to be able to run in the channel and be able to pass it back easily to the goalkeeper who then could pick the ball up. So once that that played, that was our advantage then, it helped us because the goalkeeper, the defenders were reluctant to play the ball back even more so to the goalkeepers. Often goalkeepers, if you were putting them under pressure, you know, when they were on the back pass and they couldn't pick it up, they would slice it out for a throw as well. So it, it, it helped us. But it, it, it really did help. I mean, you, you, the silly situation where the goalkeeper could pick the ball up, throw it to a fullback, and he could pass it back to the goalkeeper, who could then pick it up again and throw it to another defender. And then he could pass it back to him. So it is, it, 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 again, as I say, football has changed so much that a number of the laws of game, of the game have enhanced you know, the sport of football. The offside rule, for instance, there was nothing worse than scoring a goal and a teammate being offside out on the right wing um, when he had nothing to do with a goal. And we used to have that that, that cliche that people used to say, if he's not interfering with the game, then what's he doing on the pitch? You know, that sort of thing. So the laws of the game have changed. The, the profile around the game has changed. Um, most of it for the better. Um, but, and, you know, it's... Uh, who, where's it all going to be in 20 years' time, especially after this situation now? We don't know how that's going to affect the the decision-making in, in terms of the big European competitions, the Premier League and, and La Liga. So, interesting times. Right. So, we are going to crack on. And we are actually, in this episode, 
hopefully this one today, uh, we're going to actually go back to the 90s. Now, we had quite a few people suggesting that we talked about some classic classicos. So we have taken uh, a quick poll again, or just asked people on Twitter. So again, thank you very much uh, for everybody who's got in touch. So I think we're going to divide it into two. We'll see how long we we chat for, basically. Um, So we're going to save... Real Madrid fans, uh, stay with us because we're going to save a couple of big Barcelona wins for another uh, edition. So we're going to do a little bit of toing and froing. One classic game uh, with an awful lot of toing and froing in it, and then a back-to-back set of games from the from the nineties. So thank you to everybody who got in touch, including Bob Kindred, who said, "I rather like the sound of Barca fifteen, uh, Real Madrid one." in nineteen twenty-six, <laughs> but it was before my time, before our time as well. Uh, Sultan, rather uh, cynically, uh, uh, I'll tell you the worst two are the both from this season, he says. Thank yes. you. Yeah. Um, uh, Alan, uh, who's a Real Madrid fan of, of a certain vintage, he, he wants he go back to 2002, Champions League semi-final at the Camp Nou, Zidane and McManaman uh, with the goals. But um, then we get into quite a few people suggesting this game, including Carl Forbes, 3-3, in 2006-2007, and uh, quite a few people suggest that, and that, I think that is probably a good place to, to hesitate, isn't it, Terry? So uh, March the 10th, 2007, um, did, you watch it on, did you watch the Sky version of this when you were getting ready for this, Terry, or did you watch a Spanish version? Do, do, you, know, do you know who was doing the Sky commentary? I, no, I probably, at this stage, I was probably watching it... In Spain, yeah, it it wasn't Jerry. Jerry's on most of these. Um, Trevor Francis Trevor is doing Francis, it with Rob Palmer. Yeah, yeah. Trevor yeah. used to um, do quite a bit, didn't he? And... Yes, but I don't think he did the Classico. I was surprised when he was on the Classico because Trevor and I worked quite a lot of the games because uh, Jerry, because Jerry's connections was the uh, was the man for the for the Classico. Anyway, yeah. that's by the by, right? So all the, all the talk of the Premier League in the nineties and Trevor Francis and all of that. Let's get on to let's get on to this game. So. Fabio Capello uh, was in charge of Real Madrid, and yeah, give us a tears up then, Terry, with a bit of bit, bit of the background. The background, I think that, that there's a lot of reasons why this game sticks in the memory because of the scoreline, because of how the scoreline went during the game. It was, but I think in, in terms of being remembered, it was the first time that, that Messi really came to the forefront. So are you talking what, 2007? We're talking a long, long time ago. I mean, 13 years ago. And Messi was a 19-year-old. He'd been in and out of the team. He'd had a, a metatarsal injury, missed three months of an injury. Um, but he was, he was. when you're looking at the, the rest of the players in, in Barcelona's team, Iniesta was making a breakthrough. They, when they started off, Victor Valdez in goal. In this game with Frank Rijkaard as manager, they played a three at the back, which was... Lillian Taram, Oliguer and Puyol. And then it was a midfield four without any wingbacks. So amongst this four, even when you watch the game again, you're looking and you're thinking, I'm not even sure who's playing in the wider midfield. I think Iniesta slightly is, Deco slightly is. But the, the emphasis was on outnumbering Real Madrid in, in midfield position and then leaving, you know, attacking players high up the pitch, not having to chase fullbacks back. So yeah, Chavi in yesterday, Rafael Marquez and Deco in midfield and up front, Messi on the right, Ronaldinho on the left, and Eto. And at that time, Ronaldinho was the, the, the king of the new camp. He was the, the main player. 
Messi was a youngster making a breakthrough. Was you know we all were aware of his his talent. We'd seen it in in fits and starts. He'd been you know coming off the bench. He was I think he was wearing number nineteen in this game. Iniesta was wearing twenty four. That kind of takes the eye. You look and you think, oh, where's the ten and eight? You know, it's it's <laughs> the, the the numbers they became famous for. So it tells you, you know, they were younger players at the time. And it, it was just a, an extraordinary game. And, and that's why I, I think this game sticks in the memory, apart from the fact it was a 3-3 three, three, three and, and Real Madrid took the lead three times. There's some great names playing for Real Madrid as well. Their team was Ike Casillas in goals, Michel Salgado, Ramos, um, even Helguera, Miguel Torres, who was a youngster, went on to play for Hatafe for quite a while after that. Gago, Fernando Gago, Guti and Mamadou Diara in midfield and up front. <laughs> How about this for a front three? But Nister were in his prime. He Gonzalo Higuain and Raul. So you you, you can see the, the quality on show from from both teams. Idrissa Johnson and Silvino came on for, and Belletti came on for Barcelona. Real Madrid subs were Robinho, another star name, and Ruben Delared came on. The, the player who unfortunately had to end his career early with a, a heart complaint when he was uh, playing for. Hatafe. So the stars were there, Frank Rijkaard, Capello, both teams. The, the, the best classicos are the ones which attacks are on top and you, you have an extraordinary amount of attempts on goal and both teams going full on for a win. And, and that hasn't always been the case. It hasn't been the case for the last couple of classicos, but in this one, it, it certainly you know was a an exciting, two sets of exciting players and even Capello wanting to go for it away from home, playing an attacking lineup, looking to have attacks, take advantage of any space that Barcelona left with their three at the back and no full-backs or wing-backs. And it, 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 was a, it was a fantastic game of football. So Real Madrid took the lead with a classic Van Nistelrooy finish. So it's, it's a header from Turam and it falls to Van Nistelrooy, edge of the penalty area. Uh, what, what a finisher of, of a chance he was, Ruud Van Nistelrooy, Terry. It was, and do you know what, John, I think he, he's really underrated, in, in, particularly in English football, I think. Cause he, I think it's fair to say he was at United longer in his best days were at Manchester United. And every time I see there was one recently, you know, we, all, we, we can't, can't all have the same opinions in, in terms of who was the top 10, Alan Shearer, Alan Shearer and Wright, Gary Lineker, and, and Van Nistelrooy didn't make the cut. But I, I, always, I always think he's really underrated. I mean, he had everything you want from a centre-forward. He was dynamic. He was strong. He was a great finisher. He was aggressive. Um, he was a, a, a super footballer. And it was, a, it was a thrill when Real Madrid got him and, and he was able to continue scoring goals on a regular basis. Um, no, I think he, he's, you know, he's a, a fine, a absolutely fabulous centre-forward. And then Messi equalised, and then Van Nistelrooy gets a penalty won by Guti uh, from a from a player who had a bit of a stinker, uh, Olegaer. Because uh, if you'd have asked me to name the teams from this, he would have been probably with Diara, you know, probably the last one I would have got. Uh, but you know, he was part of Barca for a while, but probably safe to say not of the not of the quality. And he got a, he got a second yellow. He gave. He was involved in a couple of the goals, wasn't he? And he ended up giving the... He got sent off before the end of the game as well. And he got sent off in the first half. Um, with, yeah. Oh, yeah, to, late in the first half, isn't it? Yeah, yeah that's Samuel it. Samuel yeah. Eto'o having to be substituted at half-time. Um, so Eto'o comes off and Silvino goes on to give them a, another defender because they only started with three. So that was a must from Rijkaard. 
Um, it would have annoyed Eto'o and it certainly would have annoyed Rijkaard. So, again, it adds to the, 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 the drama of the game in the fact that Barcelona has come back three times to equalise, that they came, they, they came from behind with 10 men um, for the whole of the second half. So it was, you know, it's Oligari is is one of those, but uh, no, it was a, it was a penalty. I think Guti cuts inside, doesn't he? There's a, a clear foul, sticks a leg out, risky challenge, irrespective of the fact whether you're on a yellow already or not, and and that led to the the, the second goal for Van Nistelrooy, uh, who tucked it away nicely, and it was uh, all set up then for a Real Madrid win. You, you, you're thinking, you know, go to play half a game of football against Barcelona with 10 men, you you, you must feel you've got a good chance of winning it. Uh, and then Ronaldinho sort of makes the second one, doesn't he? A sort of classic run in from the left, taking players on. He's, he's shot, sort of pushed away by Casillas, I think, isn't it, before Messi comes and scores. We, did, we discussed Ronaldinho, didn't we, in our South American players special, um, one, of, one of the great players, of La Liga. Um, so have a listen to that. A little plug for that if you if you want more on Ronaldinho. And then Ramos uh, scores absolutely thumping header. Um, Trevor is critical of Barcelona's positioning. He blames Puyol, which obviously, uh, you know, sacrilege now, looking at, you know, to, to <laughs> criticise Puyol's defending. But he says he dropped too early, too deep, and drew, took them all in there with him. And then Ramos with a, with a thumping header. Uh, what a player! Someone jokes and says, um, "Among our, our tweeters, says uh, the one where Ramos gets booked." Uh, his favourite classic. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's Mark. Yeah, yeah. Only a bit flippant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he didn't um, pick up two bookings. But what a player Sergio Ramos has been for such a long period of time. As I say, we, we talked about Messi at nineteen, who was thirty-four. Uh, he was thirty. We're talking thirteen years ago now. So it, it's for Ramos. This was the period where he then, you know, was shuffled across into a centre back position. So he'd already been at Real Madrid playing. When he initially went there, he's playing right back as you know. The, that's what they bought him from, from Sevilla as, as a, a strong, aggressive, attacking fullback. And you know, I, I wasn't convinced that he was going to be of sufficient height to, to be a, a central defender when they started playing him there, there initially. Because when he was playing right back for Sevilla, and when he started right back at Real Madrid, he was, you know, his strengths, you didn't really notice his strengths in the air. Now, I'm not saying he is the greatest in the air because of his height, but it, we didn't realise then the aggression that he was going to show in the air. You know, we knew about his aggression on the floor. He was, you know, he was hard as nails. He, you know, was brought up at Sevilla playing alongside, you know, tough central defenders in Javi Navarro and Pablo Alfaro, who were feared in La Liga. And then young Ramos was right back, picking up all the tricks of the trade from those two. But I never, I, I didn't realise he was going to ever have the aggression and that will to attack crosses. You know, we're talking sort of 13 years ago, Ramos is now, what, I'm doing this off the top of my head, he's probably similar age to Messi, isn't he? So he's probably barely, you know, 19, 20 years old at that time. And he's mm. dominating Carlos Puyol from a set piece. Um, you know, and this is a player that's just making his way at Real Madrid in a new position at centre of defence. Still a very young player. Lots of games under his belt already for Sevilla and Real Madrid. But, again, you know, we talk about Messi. This was his game. And perhaps we should look at it in a similar playing to Sergio Ramos. New position and scoring the first of many important goals from a, a set piece against, you know, the best opponents. 
So Messi then later on to brilliant run, the kind of thing that we're so used to seeing now. Now, the context of this, where he was, everyone will remember, everyone of a certain age will remember the goal against Hetafe in the Copa del Rey, where he, Maradona style, he dances past loads of players from the halfway line and scores a goal. Funnily enough, almost uh, symptomatic of this Barca team at this point. They actually got knocked out, didn't they, in that two-legged tie against Hetafe because they lost the second leg uh, 4-0. So for all of these brilliant players, um, they were developing a bit of a, a knack of, of not winning things under Rijkaard, which is where the, the reset later um, came from. Uh, in Rob's commentary, Rob Palmer's commentary, he says, it's a good line at the time, this will be remembered as the Lionel Messi match, sort of. Now, we do remember it for Lionel Messi. The only thing is, how many times has the guy done this? How many games has he had that would be any other, most other greats in inverted commas? So, you know, the the other guys who'd be in the top 10 of all-time world players, that would be their game. But with Messi, you're picking out, the Lionel Messi match is almost impossible because the guy is just extraordinary. And in Classicos as well. He's had an impact in Classicos yeah. that no other player has had. Um, we're going to be talking about a few Classicos here. And, you know, there's some unbelievable names that have been involved in the games. We go back to the mid-90s that we'll talk about some of the players yeah. there. But for Messi to be doing it from this date, from, you know, this is this was his breakthrough, um, you know, from... 2006 2007 season to still be doing it and you know at this current time is 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 utterly ridiculous um yes you I, I agree totally with you but we could pick up another six classicos which could be argued so that they were the, the the classico that everyone's going to remember about messi but i think this one sticks in the mind because you know it, it is it was the first time the breakthrough we'd heard so much we'd seen a few games we'd seen some few you know examples of what he was possibly going to do. But how many of those players have we seen over the years, before then, since then? You know, players that break into a team, you know, and then, and, you know, don't have, end up having the career. I mean, well, I say how many others, every other player. Um, but we see a lot of young players that break through into Real Madrid and Barcelona and we think that, you know, going to be the next best thing. And But Messi has continued to do it for such a long period of time. But it, you're, you're quite right. I mean, you, you, you talk about the, the, the form of Barcelona, the... I mean, they actually, this is the season that Real Madrid won the league on the last day um, against Mallorca. And you talked about Mamadou Diar a bit, maybe, being one of the players that we, you know, people tend to forget. He was the record signing in La Liga that season. So, Mm. obviously, he was the type of player that Capello wanted and they wanted someone to come in and be strong and aggressive and good on the ball in midfield. Again, I think he was a, a, a fantastic player for Real Madrid. But, you know... Barcelona got knocked out. This game came on the back of both teams just being knocked out of the, the Champions League. Bayern Munich knocked out Real Madrid and Liverpool knocked out Liverpool. But it wasn't in the later rounds. I think it was the probably the, the, the quarter final, um, if that. And you know both teams, you know, were looking to to try and you know get back to on a, a, a some sort of plan to win on a consistent basis. So, you know, if you remember the game, the last game of the season, it was, you know, Reyes coming as a sub for David Beckham at home to Mallorca. Mallorca 1-0 up at half-time. Reyes comes on as a sub for Beckham and scores in the 68th, 68th minute to make it 1-0. Um, Diara gets the second to put them 2-1 up. 
and then Reyes gets another one in the 83rd minute. And this was on the same day that Barca were fresh gymnastic, gymnastic Tarragona 5-1. So they were doing their part. Um, and they both finished with 72 points. And Real Madrid won it on the head-to-head. So it was a it was a classic season, not just for this game, but the way the season unfolded. Um, but at that stage, you know, you, you're right. That neither team were, were dominating in Europe. Right, we will pause there. We'll have a very quick uh, ad, well, ad break, depending on how many adverts there are. The government probably telling you to wash your hands again, and uh, which you should do. And we will be back, and we'll be going back further in time, back to the days of the Cruyff Dream Team and its demise. To show you how easy it is to file a claim with GEICO, we hired a soap opera star. Gracious me, my car has storm damage and I've had to file a claim. Could it possibly get worse? Will my claims team leave me for someone else? Someone less intense? Um, no. Actually, when you file a claim with GEICO, you get your own dedicated claims team who promises to stay with you throughout the process. Oh, I've never known such loyalty. I can't wait for the second season. Geico. Great service without all the drama. To show you how easy it is to file a claim with Geico, we hired fitness celebrity Billy Blanks. Okay, everybody. Our car just got a broken windshield. How about we blow off some steam? Now punch. Now kick. Uh, Mr. Blanks, there's no need to be stressed. Geico makes it easy to file a claim online, on the app, or over the phone. Yeah, but what if I never hear back? That's going to make me want to go jab and jab. Uh, nope. Your Geico claims team is always there for you. Okay, do I still get my post-workout protein shake? Sure, Billy. Geico, great service without all the drama. Welcome back to El Talon John's La Liga Weekly. Right then, it's homeschooling time. Uh, very fashionable these days. So we're having a history lesson. This this counts as your history lesson, by the way. Uh, anyone young who's uh, watching, listening to us now. We're going back to the mid-90s. And we're we're going back uh, to, the, to the Cruyff Dream Team. And two Classicos that happened almost a, a year apart uh, in the, the middle of the 90s, in 94 and then uh, 95. Now then... Let's give you a little bit of background to that Cruyff dream team. Cruyff, uh, the the spiritual leader, really, of Barcelona. He'd been there as a player in the 70s. And actually, they won the league in his first season from nowhere. And then after that, they didn't. And after that, there was a lot of uh, thwarted dreams and, and broken promises with Barcelona and false starts. And then when Cruyff came back, he put this team together based on his attacking uh, flair, his attacking principles. Now, in the end, you might say it got a bit top-heavy. Uh, but I guess, Terry, just to give it a little bit of context, I, I guess, would you say that the peak of the Cruyff Dream Team would have to be when they won the European Cup in 1992, when Ronald Koeman scored the goal? Yeah, and I think that that was the, the reason then. that It was their first win in the, the European Cup, their first time being successful in the famous trophy. And I, and I think that, that you know memory will always stick with the, the Barcelona supporters. And I, and I think it's the reason they were called the dream team. I mean, was, you, know, you can look at the, the line-up and the players they brought in, a lot of players that were originally at Barcelona in terms of coming through the, the, the youth system as well. Um, but it, it was the style that was was pleasing on the eye, and you know, for them to win a European Cup, playing that type of football in a period where you know a lot of teams who were successful didn't want to play attractive football, 
Um, that was the reason at that stage that, that Barcelona stood out, you know, up until then, you know, European Cups were won from teams that were resilient, were hard to beat, they had, you know, fine players, of course, but, you know, it was, no one really attacked the, the European Cup in, in the manner that the Barcelona did under Johan Cruyff. So I think that's fair to say and that they were, you know, they were, the, as I say, a, a great team with a great philosophy from the manager that the players believed in. And, you know, they, they any player, you know, wants to, you know, play for a team that wants to be allowed to express themselves. But when you look at the players they brought in, um, to add to the talented young players that they had at the club, it, it was the perfect match. And so another mini peak of that team, well, quite a good peak, they beat Manchester United 4-0, didn't they, um, in a in a Champions League game Alex Ferguson said that I think I think he said we got slaughtered and it was it was very much a sign that English football still recovering from the ban the long ban after uh, 1985 and, and the high school stadium uh, tragedy that English football was still making its way back and not of the the level of sophistication that the top European teams were producing and obviously you know Barca weren't dominant in Europe at, at that time they got well beaten by Capello's um, Milan in the, the European final in 94, but they were they were too good for Manchester United. And then we get to this game. So this, this is now uh, January 1994, uh, and Real Madrid are fourth in the league and managed by Benito Floro. And again, I, I would have to say, Terry, uh, I wouldn't have got that right if you'd asked me oh. who was Real Madrid's manager then. Uh, the most unassuming-looking bloke sitting on the bench. So you're thinking, right, is he the Real Madrid manager? <laughs> but yes, he was. Uh, sacked pretty soon afterwards, replaced by Del Bosque for one of his um, uh, goes uh, in charge. But this was... Don't worry, Real Madrid fans. You, it, it comes back in the end. But um, So this was Romario. Now, Romario was some player, wasn't he? When they signed him, uh, he'd scored a lot of goals for PSV Eindhoven, a Brazilian little powerful, stocky guy. When he signed, he said he was the best striker of all time. And that season, he did play like it. Oh, it was incredible. I mean, he was he was a superstar. I mean, it was always a thrill to, to watch Romario. He was, you know, absolutely ridiculous in his pomp. He had a, it was a, a brief spell at Barcelona, I have to be honest. It was a, a lot briefer than I imagined. Um, because he had such a, a massive impact on on Barcelona when he came into it. But I talked about the the players that were already there that come through the system. It, it, it's it's very similar to uh, you know when Pep took over Barcelona as manager. You know he recognised the talents of, of Busquets, Pedro, Iniesta, for example. And I mean Iniesta had been playing a few games, but he wasn't automatically a first choice. Um, but when you look at the Barcelona lineup that night, Zuba Zaretta in goal, typical Barcelona. They had two identical fullbacks, you know, in Albert mm-hmm. Ferrer and Sergi. They were both playing for Barcelona, both playing for, both eventually ended up playing for Spain, and they were identical. I mean, it was you're looking at a right back and left back, very small. I mean, Albert is is my size, and it's been a pleasure to get to know him, you know, a lot better over the years. And Sergi was exactly the same. They, you know, they looked to push forward. In this game, I'm not entirely sure how they lined up because I've, I've talked there about the two fullbacks and Ronald Koeman. And then I, I, maybe it's Nadal. I'm not sure where Pep Guardiola was playing in this game. Bacero, Stoichkov, Amor, Romario, and Laudrup. So that 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 element of mixing the you know, the players that come through La Masia with the players that they brought in, the superstars that they brought in, Michael Laudrup, Romario, Stoichkov, 
you know it, it's it has that it has a similar feel to you kind of sense now why when Pep got the job that he was willing to to get that blend of you know the players that were already there the young players coming through and then you know you've got the superstars that that do help out which is probably where Pep wasn't entirely successful in his spell as manager of Barcelona with those superstars that were brought in. I think Thierry Henry eventually, you know, will be credited as, as having a, a, you know, a, an excellent period with Barcelona. But Zlatan was a player that came in and that didn't work. So it was, um, you can see the influence of Croy from Pep Guardiola. And in this game, Guardiola was, you know, one of the players that, that led Barcelona to a famous victory. And, and Romario was, you know, you, you took about three players there. Romario, Laudrup, Stoichkov. I mean, do me a favour. At that period, it didn't get any better. And you could compare them to any front three that Barcelona have had since. We'll get we'll get on to Laudrup because he's a key player uh, in the transition between the two games. So Romario scores the first one. He sort of scoops it oh, on the turn, doesn't he? It looks like he's going to control and turn it, doesn't he? But he, he just... It looks like he's going to turn one direction. He just keeps on scooping it around. And then he has to accelerate, doesn't he? And his acceleration, it's that lots of great players had the body shape. And uh, you, you've got it, you know, uh, and Maradona. Body shape, that's it. <laughs> but it it's that, the, the, the short but powerful, isn't it, that just gives a player that incredible acceleration that just buys you that time to... Which, which is crucial in, in top-quality football. Yeah, with Romario, this is his iconic goal, I think. Yeah. You know, if you want to sum up Romario, it's a, he, he drags it round in one touch when, you know, other players, most other players can't do the skill. He leaves the defender standing, and then it's that quickness of thought with the pace, only over a short distance, and then it's the iconic Romario toe poke, which, you know, he was better at that than any other player I've ever seen. So it, it was a, it was an iconic goal for Barcelona. It was an iconic goal for Romario. I, I'm pretty sure if you ask most people if they're old enough or, or they've they've got to learn about Romario as a striker, that would be the the first goal that that, that springs to mind. He leaves the defender for dead. It's it's a brilliant piece of skill, and you know, and the finish was was classic Romario. It was incredible how many goals he scored in that fashion, where he was you know used the front foot. And when I say front foot, normally most players, when they're striding towards goal, your left, if I'm right-footed, your left foot will be planted next to the ball and then your right foot comes back and you finish. With Romario, he would just take it in his stride and he wouldn't have to plant his left foot. He would just poke it with, with the toe. And what that did, it, it caught goalkeepers out. They weren't, even though they knew it was a possibility, they were coming out, setting themselves up and he would prod it off that front foot with his toes. And it was a it was a, a a skill that he, you know, he was absolutely brilliant. At. He perfected, and and it was to, to to great effect. It's weird actually because it it hasn't caught on. I can't think of another player who um, took early shots as often as Romario did, and yet it works. It was incredibly effective, isn't it? Yep, you have to get behind the defence. You won't be scoring too many goals like that from 20, 25 yards out. So it is a penalty box finish. 
We've seen various finishes over the years. Thierry Henry is another example. He's finished where he's playing on the left, cuts inside and, you know, opens his body up, curls in to the right. That's an iconic Thierry Henry finish. I know the little clip over the goalkeeper has been done. Dalglish did that years ago in European Cup win for Liverpool, where you, instead of, you know, going up to the goalkeeper and going round him or going, sliding it down, you know, on the right of the goalkeeper or the left, Dalglish waited till the goalkeeper went down and just dinked it over. And that was the first time anybody saw that. Since then, other players have, have replicated that type of finish on a regular basis. I mean, it, it kills goalkeepers now. But, you know, no one has, has ever mastered the technique of the toe poke finish from the front foot that Romario did. Um, oh, I agree with you. It is, it is really surprising. And then the second was scored by another player who is a Barcelona legend. We mentioned him earlier because he scored in the European Cup final, the winner against Sampdoria in 92. But he scored another free kick. Central defender. Now, he occasionally played other positions, but vast majority of his career, Ronald Koeman was a central defender. He scored over 200 goals, which is just phenomenal. It's incredible, isn't it? Yes, it's ridiculous. I mean, mean, we marvel about Ramos's goal-scoring exploits, rightly so. It doesn't compare any way to Koeman. I mean, people don't realise how big a star he is for Barcelona because Mm. I think in in the UK, because he came and and managed clubs in England and and did okay, wasn't particularly successful. His football surprised people. I I don't think it was as exciting. As um, and we we hate him for 1993, Terry, as well. That's exactly, England fans yeah. never forgave him for that that World Cup qualifier when he should have been sent off. He wasn't sent off, and then he, funnily enough, scored a free kick against yeah. uh, David Seaman, which it so was he was never quite forgiven for that. For that. Exactly. I guess it would be the same as, as, as if Maradona had ever come and played in the Premier League. He could have scored 60 goals a season, yet people still wouldn't have liked him because for obvious reasons. But now, Koeman was great at free kicks. He was great He was great at everything. I mean, he had no pace, um, but his reading of the game completely eradicated any weakness in terms of he, was, he never got, very rarely got done running in behind. He, he, his passing ability was was second to none. I mean, he was the type of central defender you probably had to mark, to be honest, because, mm. you know, he had such ability to strike 50, 60-yard passes with pinpoint precision um, to the right, to the left. He could come out the back and then play the short pass, commit midfield players into, you know, closing him down and then play it to a, a spare midfield teammate who had found space because Koeman came out the back. And he was a, he was a brilliant player. And the goal in this game is, is classic Koeman. I mean, he, he, you know, just drills it, curls it. There's no chance of Paco Buyo in goal for Real Madrid in making a save to, you know, to, to put Barcelona 2-0 up. Uh, how good a player? No, I you you weren't sure of the formation. I've, I've got a formation which I I've got Nadal at the back and I've got yeah. uh, Guardiola then therefore playing what you might call the Busquets role. So as a skillful, not a, not a, dis, a dis, you know, not a breaker of in it's not a destroyer in centre midfield. That's the word I'm looking for, but a, a creative deep centre midfield player. You know Busquets kind of uh, position. So how how good a player was Pep Guardiola? Oh, he's brilliant. He was. I mean, it, it, again, it is, his playing career is going to be sort of overshadowed by his success as, as a coach and, and also the influence he's had on football as a coach. Um, but no, make no mistake, he was there, you know, playing week in, week out for years at Barcelona, deservedly so. And you could see, you know, when again, when I refer back to him taking over as manager of Barcelona and seeing Pep, uh, Busquets in himself, 
you know, seeing a, a young player that was coming through that probably went through the, the same situation. How am I ever going to break into this illustrious group of players? A manager had the faith in Guardiola and Guardiola was certainly going to have the faith in Busquets to do the same role. And it, it, the Busquets role, I mean, Pep did it exactly the same. We refer to it as the Busquets role, but it, it was it had been done before, like most things in football. Um, and, and Pep was, you know, an instigator. You know, he would. The, the reason I said it wasn't exactly sure where he was playing in this game, he was more attacking. But it was the same thing. A lot of the times, if you watch Busquets for the first time ever and didn't know anything about him, you think, is he a centre back or is he a holding midfield player? You know, when the centre back split and he drops in and he makes three at the back. You know, and then and then the next minute he's closing down higher up the pitch, and he's he's never giving the ball away. Pep was exactly the, the same as Busquets. I, I'm not sure which year it was better. So that tells you how how you know good Pep Guardiola was as a player. So Romario got the third. Romario got the fourth. Set up by Michael Loudrop. We'll get to Michael Loudrop, and then the fifth goal. Uh, everybody listening, points available. Did you know this, Terry? Obviously, I didn't. you looked it up. No, no, I didn't know it. <laughs> uh, Ivan Iglesias got the fifth goal, which again, uh, you could have given me a lot of guesses and I wouldn't have, no. have got to that. Um, and uh, the other player that, that we haven't discussed is Stoichkov, who's actually had a, a longer stay at Barcelona. We've discussed Romario. Now, Romario's downside and Stoichkov's downside and their pros and their cons are very similar. In the, their fiery... Clash. Yeah, but they were actually good friends for oh. most of the time that they were there. But well, you, can, you can see that on the pitch, John. I yeah. mean, they, they, I'm, I'm pretty sure they had a row with each other on a daily basis. It would be hmm. over silly things because selfish you know, strikers are selfish. And, you know, but in this game, I mean, and Stoichkov sets up Romario for the, Romario's second goal. And so unselfish. It's, you know, we've seen it so many times that, you know, teams that Barcelona have had in recent seasons where someone's through and goal and they could go for the chance themselves, but to make sure they roll it to the side and the player has an easy tap in. And that's what Stoikov did for Romario. So there was no no ego, no hidden agenda. They just wanted to roll Real Madrid over. And, and the, 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 the hat-trick goal for Romario from the no-look pass from Laudrup. So this is what I'm saying, the no-look pass in 1994. I'm not mm. claiming Laudrup was the first. Probably someone did it in 1974. But in 1994, Laudrup did the no-look pass. Again, he could have taken an, an attempt at goal. He's through, just a goalkeeper to be. He's at an angle and, he's, you know, he kids on to shoot and then gives the goalkeeper the eyes and he looks to his left and plays it to the right and, and Romero gets a tap in. So it was unselfish, great teamwork from Barcelona. And, and I, I can't imagine the, the aggro with... Stoichkov and Romario um, and Cruyff. I mean, it was, there must have been some flare-ups in, in that change room. I'm sure when everything was going well and they were beating Barcelona 5-0 and, you know, and, and ending up as champions this season with a remarkably low 56 points, but it was two points for a win. Um, yeah. Romario ended up the season as Pachichi with 30 goals and runner-up was Deportivo La Coruña with the same amount of points. So he yeah. actually went on head to head. So it was an extraordinary season. Zaragoza were third, and Real Madrid, and you know, fourth on on forty five points, eleven points off Barcelona when it was two points for a win. So you can see how dominant Barcelona were in in you know in that season, 
And, and I'm not surprised when you, you, you talk about those players. And Moore was a terrific player. Nadal was a fantastic central defender. Baquero was effervescent. He was perpetual motion in midfield and, and out wide all over the place. So it was. They were, you know, a, a fantastic team to watch. There was almost a hundred thousand supporters in the stadium, and it, for those supporters that were there, um, even Barcelona supporters that, that were around but weren't at the game, they will, you know, remember this game because of the iconic players, the iconic goals of Romario hat trick. Um, it was a, a sensational display from from Cruyff's team. And if you want to hear more about that Deportivo La Coruña team, we've done one of those as well in our classic teams, our cult teams, classic teams, can't remember what we called it, uh, podcast Depor and how they messed up uh, and how close they got and the Dukic penalty and all of that. But uh, So more on Depor is available when you've listened to this, but we, uh, we're we going to switch our attention because it, it couldn't last. Well, it lasted quite a long time, uh, but I think Laudrup, was probably then the key to it. Because you mentioned the, the fiery personalities of Stoichkov and Romario. Laudrup, though, is a nice fellow. You know, yep. you know, uh, you know, obviously a certain oh, kind of... Mark, Michael, I mean, we've got to know him over the years. And yeah. To, I know one thing, though. He's a really nice guy. He's an absolute gentleman. But if you cross him, <laughs> he, yes. you know, I, you can tell. Don't take liberties. He is a superstar. Um and you kind of forget because he, he's such a nice guy. But I, I, I know, you can tell. I haven't seen evidence of it, but I just know, you know, you yes. don't want to take liberties so, with him. Basically, fell out. But it's you and Cruyff. I mean, Cruyff is a difficult personality. <laughs> if you read Cruyff's book, uh, it's, it's, it's definitely recommend reading it, uh, especially all this time in your hands in, in the in the lockdown. But um, his brilliance shines through and his arrogance shines through as well. There's just a series. It's one of these ones where there's a series of incidents in which it's somebody else's fault that there was another falling out and then another falling out and it's somebody else's fault. And, another, and eventually, <laughs> some, Johan, do you think you might be the common factor in all of these falling falling out that it's always somebody else's fault? But that, So that was, that was Cruyff. Um, you know, geniuses are often quite difficult people. Um, well, here's the reason Laudrup went to Barcelona. Cruyff. Yes. Because, and he uh, Laudrup was the number fourteen, and it was yeah. because of his, you know, he's he idolised Johan Cruyff, so for it to turn sour in the end was surprising, um, to a degree. Um, but you know, it's uh, these things do happen in football. And it was pre-Bosman, this, so you were limited in the number of foreigners because the EU hadn't come and got involved and said that you can have any number of EU players. Um, so when they brought players in, Hadji actually came in, didn't he, after a really good World Cup because Brazil won the World Cup that year. Romario carried on his form into the World Cup. And then he, he basically went on a, a month-long party. Now, we started this by saying we're, we're two men who were two we, we're scared to drink whiskey. Uh, Romario wasn't scared to drink whiskey. Uh, he, you know, he's, he's he's a politician now, Romario, isn't he? It's, it's, what? It's like, so, not necessarily the per, you know. Say what you like about British politics. Gaza's not an MP, is he? But uh, Romario is, is a politician in, in Brazil. Um, and so he went on at this month-long party. He came back and was. Um, not necessarily focused on the the task in hand in the, in the following season. Laudrup, after basically being shoved out, he was out of contract. Cruyff was happy to let him go, and of course, then he he committed the the cardinal sin of sins, and he he moved to the Bernabeu. And so, from having been such an influential player, most people thought Cruyff had gone off him a bit. To be honest, by then, 
he signed for Real Madrid in his first trip back to the Bernabeu. Uh, he got such grief that he had to be substituted because he's not, he doesn't quite have the arrogance uh, of the others. But then, almost a year to the day, after the 5-0 to Barcelona, uh, Real Madrid get their reward. Jorge Valdano uh, is in charge then. And uh, what a turnaround, and all inspired by Laudrup. Yeah, these were the Laudrup Classicos, because we're talking the 8th of Jan 94 when he was playing for Barcelona in a 5-0 win, and the 7th of Jan 95 when he does play for Real Madrid in a 5-0 win against Barcelona. It's extraordinary. I mean, I mean, we're talking about a period of time there. He'd already been to Juventus, Michael Lodge, so he played for the big club in Italy. And there was an element, John, in the, in the mid-90s of two types of football. The one that we're seeing in Spain, the reason we're talking about these Clásicos, the amount of goals scored, this wouldn't have happened in a, in a, a Turin derby or, so, or Milan derby. You know, 5-0 one season, 5-0 the next. So there was an element of, you know, there were some players that didn't really, you know, didn't set the world alight that because of the, the tactical systems employed in, in Italy, the reliance on defensive work. And I mean, I'm not knocking it. it, it it's, it, you know, it, we're coaching defensive teams and teams organised really rigid in terms of the tactics isn't easy for any coach but that was the fashion in Italy in Spain the, the trend was more towards you know players like Laudrup thriving so it was unlikely when you leave Barcelona Michael Laudrup was only ever going to go to another massive club he'd done Italy and it was an obvious move to be honest and and at this period of time you know there are players a number of players that weren't afraid to to make the move and, and play for you know the, 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 the two clubs I mean there's other players in this game that have played for, you know, both teams. I mean, Laudrup has gone from Barca to Real Madrid. It's a Real Madrid team with Luis Enrique and Luis Miller in it, who both played for Barcelona as well. So it was, it was, it was, you know, it was done more often than you, than is, is certainly done now. I mean, you could never imagine, it's just not going to happen. You could never imagine Barcelona buying Ronaldo. You're never going to imagine Real Madrid buying Messi, you know, or, or Sergio Ramos suddenly going to Barcelona at the end of his career. But it, it was, you know, there seems to be an acceptance now that you're one or the other and you, you can't change. Figo, I'm, get, I'm, I'm assuming he's probably the, not the most recent one, I but the most head was probably the, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's what sealed it, wasn't it? Um, so, so Laudrup plays in this game, plays brilliantly. But, of course, he doesn't score the, the goal, does he? So the, the hat-trick um, is a player. Now, how, how how high up did Zamorano finish in our South America? I can't actually. He wasn't right at the top, was he? he, no, he was, we no, we, we mentioned him. He was yeah. on the fringes. He, was, he, he, you know, he got a worthy mention, but we, we, we did have some... You know, players that have done yes, it longer. Yes, there, there are some better. Yes, so although this season, brilliant. He got the he got the Pachichi this season. He scored over a hundred goals uh, for Real Madrid, hundred and one in hundred and seventy three, and then he went to Inter. Funnily enough, because Inter was splashing a lot of money and actually out outpaying the big Spanish clubs at the time. But so so Zamorano got the old long hair going, hasn't he? The the the, yeah. the, the, the very much the the mid nineties South American style, and he and it's a, a brilliantly taken hat trick. Oh, brilliant! I mean, he, he he was a brilliant penalty box player. I mean, he, he was he was excellent outside the box as well in terms of his, you know, he didn't give the ball away. He was able to dribble and take opponents on. But in the penalty box, his his movement was so sharp. 
you know, he, he was a he was a, a fantastic player. Loudrop was influential in this game. It was, you know, he didn't score goals. Loudrop didn't score in the the five for the Barcelona when Barcelona won five 0 and he didn't score in the five that Real Madrid beat Barcelona by. Yet he was so influential in, in both games. And you know, we talked about teammates of his getting hat tricks in both games and him being involved in building up and making the goals for those players. And and Loudrop needed a Romario. He needed a, a Zamorano because he there was so much work that he did. But it needed someone to, to finish off those chances that he would help to create. And, and Zamorano was the, the perfect player to, to match up with with Michael Laudrup. And then, you, well, you mentioned other players who played for both clubs. So the fourth goal for Real Madrid scored by Luis Enrique, who, who obviously later goes the other way. So uh, give us, you know, obviously huge success as a manager uh, with Barcelona and now the, the Spanish national team boss. Just, so for the for the young people, what what was Luis Enrique like as a player? He was it was dynamic. He was quick. He was like a, an attacking midfielder, stroke forward. Um, he was. It's interesting. You look at his his statements and and how he's aligned himself with Barcelona as opposed to Real Madrid, because I mean he he claims he, he never enjoyed his time playing for Real Madrid. Which is extraordinary when you think you know he, he five years exactly yes and and yet he, he was still happy to you know be the a Barcelona player I mean it might be slightly different the fact he never came through the the, the system of either club did he he was Sporting Gijon was his team as where he started out he's from Oviedo so he's not from Barcelona he's not from Madrid. Um, but for you know to play for Real Madrid from ninety one to ninety six and another eight years for Barcelona afterwards, but he, he, his statement is that you know he, when he wanted to leave Real Madrid, um, he hadn't been enjoying himself and he enjoyed himself far better at, at Barcelona. So it, yeah, as I say, that it was an unusual thing to, to players to, to to make that you know cross to play for one club, then play for the other. If you were good enough to play for one, you were always going to be good enough for the other one. Both clubs weren't frightened of signing players. Players weren't frightened of changing and going from one to the other. And and Luis Enrique is a classic example of that. He was a, it, it, very much an attacking player. As I said, he was a, a auxiliary attacking player, but attacking midfield um, and had, had a, a fine career. Lots of caps for Spain. And you, know, you can see why he's... You know, highly rated as a player, and now you know for, as a coach as well, coach at the Spain national team. And Amavisca got the fifth for Real Madrid, so there's a, a kind of uh, symmetry there, isn't yeah. there? So they lost five nil, they won five nil, and in a way, it was the the end of the dream team, wasn't it? I mean, we when you're looking at history, you always like to draw neat lines, and it's always a slightly uh, false exercise because we, we like stuff to be in a package, we like stuff to be wrapped up, but uh, Cruyff didn't win the league again after this. He was sacked a couple of years later. He said he was in the process of rebuilding and he was hopeful that Alex Ferguson Stanley would have got another great, great team going. But obviously, um, the, the person at Nunez was the, the controversial, very dictatorial president who obviously therefore battled with Cruyff, a massive clash of personalities. And uh, he never came, he never came back. And, and that was, so that was the end of the, the dream team. And it took a while uh, to, to build Barcelona up. But I think Cruyff's legacy is that the style of play, the philosophy stayed within a strand of the club. There's always a battle, isn't there, between just getting on and winning the game, finding a pragmatic way, signing some big name players to get you through and having the and playing to a philosophy. And so that's very much the, the Cruyff wing 
of Barcelona and it's, and it's very easy to identify with. Oh, definitely. And I think it hasn't always been the case. There have been some managers that haven't adopted that, that policy. But I think Pep coming back in and doing what he did sort of refreshed everybody into what Barcelona should be. And, you know, the, the team for this game was very similar to the one the year before, as it would be. And Carlos Busquets was in goal, Sergio uh, Sergi Busquets's father in this match. Um, Hadji came in. Romario was on the bench a year later after scoring the hat-trick in that 5-0 win. Stoichkov got a red card after 44 minutes. Um, Bar- uh, Real Madrid finished champions on 54 points. Depor, uh, 55 points. Depor on runners-up in second with 51. And it was Betis and Barca with 46. So it was, I mean, Real Madrid, that was his fifth title in a row that season in La Liga. Of course, four with Barcelona and then the first one with Real Madrid in his first season after changing clubs. So it clearly was that, you know, the not beginning of the end of Barcelona, but the beginning, you know, the, it, a culmination of that, you know, four league titles on the trot, a Champions League win, a European Cup win, sorry. Um, and, you know, things do, you know, need a rebuild from time to time. Um, hence, you know, the reason that that that, that change was was made eventually. So, but it was it was it was a, a replica of the you know we talked about Barca five winning five nil, Real Madrid winning five nil. You got Romario and Zamorano getting goals. You got um, Kuman scoring a wonderful goal for Barcelona. Luis Enrique and then an unknown player in Iglesias and Amavisca scoring goals. It was you know it was a, an extraordinary time. I think Raúl had come into the team in ninety five. So, you know, that was a hint of what Real Madrid were going to achieve under Raul, who was, again, was a fantastic player. He was young at the time. He'd broken in under Valdano. Still had great players, Manolo Sanchez, who, you know, brilliant central defender. So it was a, extraordinary that this was turned around. But I think both these games, we keep banging on about him. I do, Michael Laudrup. These are the Laudrup Classicos because in 10 goals, he's on the winning team. They score 10 in both games between them and he doesn't score a goal. Yet he's remembered as being so influential in, in both of these games. Right, Terry, we've gone on too long. People have got things to do and places right. to go. They've got to go and sit in the garden and um, you know <laughs> do all this stuff. Uh, so we will, right, we're going to leave it there for this edition, but we will uh, let you into a secret. We're going to Record another one now, and then we'll have a look back at another couple of classic classicos. So thank you for listening. Thank you to everybody who's taken part. And watch out, because there'll be another one coming soon. Flexibility can go a long way. By refinancing your newer used auto loan with PenFed, you can lower your monthly payments for more flexibility in your budget. You can even schedule your first payment for up to 60 days from the date of your refinance. Calculate how much you could save at PenFed.org slash auto refi or call 1-800-247-5626 to apply. Membership is open to everyone. 
to receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA.